Chapter Twenty of Grace Harlowe's Plebe at High School. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. Grace Harlowe's Plebe at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. Chapter Twenty: The Gray Brothers. The four girls never knew how long they waited that afternoon in the hunter's cabin. It might have been only minutes, but the minutes seemed to drag themselves into hours. The uncertain fate of the boys, the tragedy that surely awaited perhaps all of them, made the situation almost unbearable. Grace piled the fireplace high with the remaining wood, but the blaze could not keep away the chill that crept over them as the sun sank behind the trees. They shivered and drew nearer together for comfort. Should they ever see their four brave friends again? And David? Anne could endure it no longer. She rose and began to move about the hut. There lay her coat and hat. Almost without knowing what she did, she put them on, pulled on her mittens, and tied a broad knitted muffler around her ears. Girls, she said suddenly. She had gone about her preparation so quietly, the other three had not even turned to see what she was doing. I'm going. I don't want any of you to go with me, but I would rather die than stay here all night without knowing what has happened to David and the others. Wait a moment, cried Grace, and I'll go too. It would be unbearable not to know, and if we meet the wolves, why then, as Tom said, we can climb a tree. Poor Tom, she added sadly. I wonder where he is now. Nora and Jessica rose hastily. Do you think I'd stay, cried Nora, not in a thousand years? Anything is better than this, exclaimed Jessica, as she drew on her wraps and prepared to follow her friends into the woods. Grace opened the door, peering out into the gathering darkness. There's not a living thing in sight, she said. We'd better hurry, girls. It will soon be dark. Then the four young girls started down the trail and were soon out of sight. When Tom Gray left old John's hut, with nothing between him and the ravenous wolves except the angle of a wall, he took a long gliding step, his body swinging gracefully with the motion, and was off like the wind under a broad avenue of trees. But he had not gone far before one of the straps loosened and his foot slipped. He fell headlong, but was up instantly. It took a few moments to tighten the strap, and it must have been then that the wolves caught the scent, and after hurriedly finishing the meal in hand, galloped off for another without taking the slightest notice of the fox-skin that Reddy had tossed to them. Tom made a fresh start, feeling more confident on his feet than he had at first, and he was well under way when he heard the howl of the wolves behind him. Gathering all his energies together, he managed to keep ahead of them until the woods became less dense, and he saw through the interlacing branches the open meadows and fields. They are too hungry to leave off now, he said to himself, as he hurriedly searched the valley below for the nearest farmhouse. In front of him was a very high, steep hill, that same hill, in fact, where Nora's coasting party had taken place. Glancing behind him, he caught a glimpse of the Grey brothers trotting through the forest. I'll take the hill, he thought. It's quickest, and there must be some kind of a refuge below. With long, swift glides, he reached the knob which had hidden Miriam's sled from view, as she bore down on Anne the night of the coasting party. The wolves were right behind him now, and unless something turned up, he hardly dared think what would happen. But Tom Gray had always possessed an indomitable belief that things would turn out all right. It seemed absurd to him that he was to be food for wolves when he had still a long and delightful life before him. Certainly he would not give up without a struggle. Perhaps it was this fine confidence that his destiny was not yet completed that gave him the strength which now promised to save him. As he fled down the hill, he saw below an old oak tree whose first branches had been lopped off. Exerting every atom of strength in him, just as he reached the bottom, Tom gave a leap. He caught the lowest limb with one hand, pulled himself up, and calmly took his seat in the crotch of the tree. He was just in time. The wolves were at his heels, snarling and snapping like angry dogs. The boy regarded them from his safe perch and burst out laughing. "'So I fooled you, did I, you grey rascals?' he said aloud. "'You think you'll keep me here all night, do you, old hounds? Well, we'll see who wins out in the long run.' 
Meanwhile, the wolves ran about howling disconsolately, while Tom sat in the branches of the tree, rubbing his hands and arms to keep warm. He had removed the snowshoes, and was just contemplating climbing to the top of the tree to keep his blood circulating, when three figures appeared on the brow of the hill. "'As I live, it's the boys,' he said to himself. "'Go back!' he yelled, waving a red silk muffler. "'Climb a tree, quickly!' They had seen and heard him, and making for the nearest tree, each shinned up as fast as he could. "'Here's a howdy-do,' said Tom to himself. Four boys treed by wolves and night coming on.' Yet he swung his legs and whistled thoughtfully whilst the others shouted to him, but he could not hear what they said, for the wind was blowing away from him. In the meantime the wolves did not all desert him, and he could only wait patiently, with the others, for something to turn up. What did turn up was a good deal of a shock to all of them. Grace, Jessica, Nora and Anne suddenly emerged from the forest, standing out in bold relief on the brow of the hill. The three boys at the top of the hill all jumped to the ground at once. "'Run for the trees!' cried David, for the wolves had caught the new scent and had started toward them on a dead run. Crack, crack, went a rifle. Instantly the first wolf staggered and fell backward. How was it that the boys had not noticed before that the girls were not alone? Another shot and a second wolf ran almost into their midst, gave a leap and fell dead. One more dropped and the sole surviving wolf beat a frenzied retreat. "'We found old Jean,' cried Grace. "'Wasn't it the most fortunate thing in the world? "'And now nobody is killed, and we are all safe, and I'm so happy!' "'She gave the old hunter's arm a squeeze. "'Old Jean, enveloped in skins from top to toe, smiled good-naturedly. "'It was the bon Dieu, mademoiselle, who have preserved you. "'Do not thank old Jean. "'It was the bon Dieu who put it in old Jean's head to set rabbit trap tonight.' "'He would accept neither money nor thanks for shooting the wolves. "'I will skin them, it is sufficient.' It was not long before eight very tired and very happy young people were seated around Mrs. Gray's dinner-table. Grace was a little choky and homesick for her mother, now that all the danger was over, but the week of the house-party was almost up, so she concealed her impatience to be home again. The softly shaded candles shed a warm glow over their faces, and the logs crackled on the brass andirons. They looked into each other's eyes and smiled sleepily. Had it all been a dream, their winter picnic, or was old John at that very moment really nailing wolf-skins to his wall? End of chapter 20